0: Hello, and welcome to Macro Minutes. During each episode, we will be joined by RBC Capital Markets experts to provide high-conviction insights on the latest developments in financial markets and the global economy. Please listen to the end of this recording for important disclosures. Uh, Hi, everyone, and welcome to the February 7th edition of Macro Minutes called uh, What Now? I'm Jason Dyer, your host for today's call, which we're recording at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on February the 7th. So, you know, the big news has been the U.S. payroll report. It sent uh, shockwaves through the fixed income market. Um, The market has shifted uh, fairly aggressively uh, to pricing in a new peak in the U.S. uh, terminal rate, which is now close to what the uh, FOMC dots were suggesting. There's also been contagion to Canada. Uh, The market's now pricing around a 50-50 chance of the BOC uh, hiking again by June after being convinced uh, they would be on hold. So to unpack what this means for global fixed-income markets, we're joined today by myself, uh, Blake on the U.S., uh, Peter on uh, Europe and the U.K., and uh, Sue Lynn on, Aust- on, on Australia. And for the implications for FX, we have uh, ELSA, and for equities, we're joined by uh, Laurie. So to start off uh, today's discussion, <clears throat> I'm going to answer the question of what now Canada. So as a general concept, I do think uh, the Canadian market has overreacted to the U.S. payroll report. For the Bank of Canada, uh, we do continue to believe that the BOC uh, is probably on hold uh, this year, with a greater risk of uh, cuts in the second half of the year compared to them uh, hiking further. Now, what would change our view is if there was uh, slower progress on inflation and wages coming down, But this will be a multi-month process if it did unfold rather than a one uh, data point event. So looking forward to the March meeting, uh, the OAS market is pricing around five basis points of hikes, which seems um, excessive given uh, the message that we heard from the Bank of Canada recently, which was a firm hold, and two, that there's limited key data points between now and then. So we only get one CPI report and one labor market report. So receiving the March meeting and picking up uh, anywhere from four to six basis points uh, makes a lot of sense uh, to me. For term yields, I think the move in the last two days is probably overdone, but I wouldn't fight it yet. Um, if we got 10-year uh, bond yields in Canada closer to the 315, to 320 area, I think risk-reward in getting long uh, does improve uh, quite significantly. Um, we're probably in a range-trading environment for the next few months. Uh, there's no strong consensus from clients on growth, inflation, or the Bank of Canada path. And when you couple this with uh, offsetting dynamics of uh, macro fundamentals generally arguing for lower yields, but valuations are quite rich on a number of metrics, um, I think it does prevent a big move in either direction uh, in the short term. But with that said, um, a downward drift over the balance of 2023 is our base case uh, scenario. And lastly, for the curve, uh, we continue to believe there is limited uh, potential for steepening in twos fives or twos tens. Uh, history does show that these curves uh, only steepen meaningfully when rate cuts are happening. And even then, it will be hard for the curve to beat uh, what's uh, priced in. So. With positive carry of around uh, 10 basis points a month, we think flatteners still offer good risk-reward, even at these levels. Uh, With that, uh, next up to Blake to tell us about the Fed and the U.S. bond market.
1: Yeah, thanks, Jason. Um, yeah, so normally I'd probably get on here the week after an FOMC and kind of recap um, Powell's comments last week, but um, you know those those were broadly interpreted as dovish, and I think um, you know given that five hundred thousand plus shocker on NFP, um, you know those are largely dated at this point. So um, you know markets have basically unwound all of the post FOMC price, price action that we saw, and I think for the last few sessions. It felt a bit like a return to kind of the environment we had in November of 2022, late last year, when markets were still thinking about these upside risks to terminal. The curve was still bear flattening and this kind of huge sensitivity uh, to data prints with those risks being skewed towards higher rates led by the front end. Um, March meeting, we've now got fully priced for a 25 basis point hike, and we're even flirting with some tail risk of a move back to 50 basis points, um, pricing just a little bit above that 25 basis point level. Um, We think the bar to that is extremely high uh, at this point. Um, You know, the Fed has very clearly stepped down to a 25 basis point pace, and I think for now, uh, they're really going to push hawkishness via the terminal rate rather than uh, kind of moving back to kind of a front-loading pace. But still, markets are pricing in, you know, some risks of that possibility. Um, the biggest mover has been the june meeting uh which is now showing about a 40% probability of a hike um, you know prior to the F, uh, prior to the FM, nfp release um, you know that was basically just a basis point or two so a pretty big move there you know markets starting to think about this um, you know this hiking cycle extending all the way out to june um, and all of this has taken the terminal rate to uh, 5% 5.14% um i i point out the specifics on that because it's actually about six basis points over the fair value of what we would expect, um, you know, given the Fed's median dot in the 2023 SEP. So we've kind of moved to kind of uh, where we were pricing below the Fed for most, uh, most of this period since the December FMC me- meeting to now actually uh, the market outpacing the Fed to some degree. Um, for all this, I think markets still seem a bit resistant to questioning the cuts in late 23 and 24. Uh, the total cuts we have priced by the end of 2024 have really only come off about 14 basis points. Um, you know, since that NFP release, the whole curve obviously shifted higher, but the actual downward slope has really only corrected by about 14 basis points. Which, really, given kind of the volatility, uh, kind of the normal day-to-day volatility around those levels, is, is not a really massive, uh, is not a really massive move there. I think part of this. Uh, again, is this return to the late 2022, late 2022 mindset that if the Fed keeps pushing uh, still higher, the risk of a hard landing increases. So, you know, good news for the near term, essentially bad news in the medium to long term. Um, tens broke their range for the last month, but we still have a ways to go before testing that 390 high we reached in December. Given the massive move in the front end um, that we saw over the last few sessions, two tens tens rocketing back down to those December flats of negative 80 bips. Um, that moves cooled a bit this morning. As to the direction from here, um, you know, we're actually a bit short on conviction. But to that point, uh, we will hear from Powell this afternoon. We have to assume he's going to come out swinging a bit, both because I think markets took that dovish reaction, uh, that dovish interpretation of his comments, which um, I think was probably a bit accidental. Um, so he's pushing back against that um but also kind of incorporating this new information from NFP. Um I, I will say that I think the next few data prints, I think there's going to be a massive amount of market sensitivity to those prints, including CPI next week. Um, I think that will be skewed towards you know higher rates, still flatter curves, because markets will be looking uh for some type of confirmation um you know of this theme that, that that kind of got introduced with this NFP beat. So I'll leave it there and um you know hopefully our next call we'll we'll have a bit more information, a bit more conviction on where we're going from here
0: okay thank you Blake uh, now over to Peter to tell us about uh, policy
2: rates or the rate outlook in uh, the UK and Europe thank you Jason um, well clearly if I look back at the last week um, and leaving the non-farm payroll number and what it did to markets aside the message actually couldn't have been better for fixed-income markets um, out of Europe inflation came on the low sides um, growth was better than expected but still not significantly higher Um, So, overall, it was a relatively benign picture. Um, And the um, central bank meetings, they did produce the market expected outcome. And when you listen to what they were saying in the following press conferences, um, in both cases of the Bank of England as well as the ECB, the rhetoric cannot be really described, otherwise as downshifting a little bit. In the case of the Bank of England, uh, the labor market was, um, uh, was um, seen as the, the key thing, um, but the subsequent talk definitely stressed um, risks of over-tightening, for instance in the case of the ecb uh, it was pre announced de facto that a 50 basis point step is also going to come at the next meeting but then all the um, indications for the meetings to follow after that um, have largely been dropped so overall before going into the non farm payrolls number the market has taken relatively the fixed income market has taken relatively positive notes um, out of the european zone Overall, we still think that the market over here is pretty much priced across a very broad continuum of um, outcomes, one of them being that inflation is stickier, and we've seen that in the core inflation numbers in particular, um, and on the opposite side, of course, um, that a larger recession could be coming manifesting itself, um, and you see that in the cut pricing and then obviously there is a um, very large um, part in the middle where things of both of these extremes pan out to some degree, and a bit of a softer landing could be panning through so we think that the market for the time being, at least as far as Europe is concerned, cannot really make up its mind. We think the market is probably going to continue trading sideways, although after the non-farm payrolls numbers, just as, uh, as we've just heard for the U.S. or for Canada, and the implied terminal rate is uh, roughly at the peak where we've been over the last couple of months, but not necessarily significantly higher than that. Um, and uh, we think that for the time being, the investment strategy remains as it has been. Um, no strong duration calls. Um, but much more risk at uh, short-term credit and um, trying to reap the benefit of relatively widespread still. They have come in a little bit, but only a little bit, um, and, um, and trying to um, create P&L that way. We also still like asset swaps, um, where we think that the massive European bond issuance will come through and will put further pressure on these asset swaps. Um, and uh, we think that's a long-term story that hasn't changed for us either. And then we'll try to ascertain what the data brings and going forward and whether the bigger market morphs uh, or the bigger market narrative will change. And with that, I'll hand it back to Jason.
0: Uh, great stuff, Peter. Uh, so to round out the view on global uh, fixed income markets, we'll hear from uh, Sue Lin on Australia.
3: Thanks, Jason. The RBA is also inching closer to terminal but lagging the rest of the dollar block, partly because it was a bit late to start hiking and only began in May of last year. It delivered another 25 basis point hike today at its first board meeting of the year, taking the cash rate to 335. We had expected this, but the statement erred quite hawkish, and three things stood out to us today. Firstly, the very high recent Q4 CPI and its details has clearly unnerved the RBA, and its focus has shifted back to almost solely getting inflation back within target sooner rather than later. There's new and particularly strong language around the economic and social consequences of high and entrenched inflation. Secondly, there was very little new discussion around some early signs of moderation in consumption or ongoing housing weakness, with its growth forecast largely unchanged. And thirdly, the final paragraph hints at further rate hikes. Our own inflation forecasts remain higher than the RBAs, and we've noted the risk of some resilience in household consumption. So we're happy leaving a 25 basis point hike in March in our profile, and we're adding one more in April to see terminal now at 385. Our short Feb and IB trades have performed well today, and we have even more conviction in our short March IB trade, which will continue to run. Market pricing for another 25 basis point hike in March has lifted to about 80% from 60 prior to today's meeting.
0: Uh, thank you, Su-Lynn. Uh, now over to Lori on what uh, all this means for the equity market.
4: All right. Good morning, everybody. Two quick thoughts from me. First, I just wanted to comment on what we're seeing in terms of sectors. I think the key takeaway as we're digesting all this Fed speak is really to think about how recent sector leadership within the S&P has been consistent with what we've seen in the past following final, red, final Fed hikes. services, Tech, and, communic- and Consumer Discretionary have all outperformed year-to-date, though they were hit on Monday as markets digested Friday's job report. We took a look back at median S&P 500 sector performance following final Fed rate hikes since 1995, and what we found is that these are really the three sectors, again, comm services, tech, and consumer discretionary, that tend to do best in the six-month period that follows. So what does this all mean? It really tells me that U.S. equity markets have really been starting to discount the end of the current hiking cycle well in advance. I sensed in December that people in U.S. equities were ready to move on to new themes, and we really think that it you know, manifested itself within the S&P in terms of sector leadership. So I would keep a close eye on these sectors in the weeks ahead for clues on how U.S. equities are thinking about the Fed path. And then my final point, we do see a case for valuation expansion in U.S. equities this year as inflation moderates. In our meetings last week, the thing that really jumped out to us is that investors remain interested in debating what kind of P.E. multiple the S&P deserves to trade at in light of higher for longer interest rate assumptions and inflation that stays above the Fed's 2% target. So we did on Monday update our S&P 500 trailing P.E. model, which is based on data going back to the 70s. We plugged in consensus year-end 2023 forecast for all four variables in the model as of Friday. That's PCE at 2.8 percent, core PCE at 3 percent, Fed funds at 4.75, following a move to 5 percent in the first half of the year, and 10-year yields of 3.4. Based on actuals, the model suggested that the S&P deserved to trade at around 16.4 times as of December 31st of last year, It actually ended up in the mid-17 times range, so the model isn't perfect, um, but has done a very good job at telling us the right neighborhood the multiples deserve to be in. Based on current macro assumptions for year end of this year, the model is telling me that the index deserves to trade at around 22.4 times on a trailing PE multiple at the end of this year. And again, that's trailing, not forwards. And if you do the math and you look at current consensus estimates of earnings for 223, that could take the S&P up to nearly 5,000. My earnings forecast is much more conservative at at 199, and if you do the math there, it could take you to 4,500 in a bull case scenario. So given our below outlook, uh, consensus outlook for 2023 earnings, I think 4,500 is the way to think of a reasonable gauge of upside risk to 4,100. 4,100 is my current year in target, so we're baking in something more like a 20 times trailing PE multiple, but we've been finding just because there's been such a deep consensus that it's not going to be a great year for equities, people want to explore what the upside and downside risks are, and we think that 4,500 is the right way to think about the upside risks. Um, That's it from me, Jason, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to pass the call on. I think else is going to be next.
0: Okay. Thanks, Laurie. Uh, Very informative. So, yeah, to conclude today's uh, discussion, we'll hear from uh, Elsa on what uh, the situation in fixed income and equities uh, means for currency markets.
5: Thanks, Jason. So, from our perspective, we're at a critical juncture, and the way we like to look at FX at the moment is through our quadrant of bond and equity performance. Having spent most of the last 10, 20 years in a world where bonds and equities moved in opposite directions, the last year and a half has been characterized by the co-movement of bonds and equities, which I think is catching a lot of people out in terms of currency reaction. Having spent all of 2022 watching bonds and equities sell off together, the tail end of last year and the start of this year has been all about bonds and equities rallying. Laurie just touched on some of the upside risk potential for equities, and it would have to be a combination of upside inequities and further rallying bonds that would create an environment for the dollar to sell off through the course of the year as the market consensus expects. We're a little bit more hesitant to jump onto that dollar-down bandwagon. We think that we're likely to spend this year a little bit more uncertain, flipping between the top-left quadrant of our framework, so bonds and equities rallying together and the bottom-right bonds and equities selling off together with some risk that we move into the bottom-left, which is bonds rallying, equities selling off, if economic activity turns out to be much slower than expected. Until then, we're focusing a lot more on relative value trades and people that follow our weekly trade of the week will have seen that. And outside of that, we would just caution that when it comes to the yen in particular, the way it trades in this kind of environment is going to be very different to what people are used to. The correlation with equities that one might expect, particularly on yen crosses, has broken down completely. And for that, I'd say look ahead to some upcoming research from my colleague Adam Cole pass it back to you, Jason.
0: Okay, great. Um, So thank you everybody for joining this edition of Macro Minutes. Um, You know, I'd like to reiterate, um, you know, one of the messages we had from late last year that 2023 uh, should turn out to be, um, you know, as challenging as 2022, but for different reasons. And this is because, you know, investors are debating the uh, path of policy rates uh, on hold cuts or more hikes. And this stage of the policy cycle should show uh, significant uh, cross-country differences and have impacts on uh, relative uh, asset prices. So uh, stay tuned for our publications or reach out to us directly in the intro for any additional insights.
4: This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.